Multiple Myeloma Hub Podcasts, brought to you by Scientific Education Support. Hello and welcome to the Multiple Myeloma Hub Podcast. Today, we'll be speaking to our steering committee member, Paul Richardson, from Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, US. My name is Dr. Paul Richardson, and it's my uh, pleasure to, to be with you today to discuss some very interesting data um, from a novel lipophilic peptide conjugated alkylator that we call melflufen, um, that is a, a, a remarkable agent, in my opinion, that delivers a highly cytotoxic payload into myeloma cells. And preclinically, we've shown through its peptidase-enhanced activity um, that is able um, to overdrive resistance um, to standard chemotherapeutics in myeloma, as well uh, as resistance um, to currently employed novel agents, including proteasome inhibitors and immunomodulatory drugs. How this drug works is fascinating. It's a highly lipophilic uh, moiety, which means that it's delivered to the bone marrow, um, which tends to be uh, uh, full of fat, as you can imagine. And unlike melphalan, which is a sort of great-great-grandmother of this drug, um, which is lipophobic. Um, this drug is lipophilic. And essentially, um, if you think of this agent as a novel agent, um, it, it is exactly that because it's rapidly taken up by myeloma cells due to its high uh, lipophilic characteristics. And once inside the cell, um, it's immediately cleaved by these aminopeptidases, which are extremely active and enriched in myeloma versus normal tissues. And the hydrophilic alkylator payload is then entrapped within the myeloma cell. And as a result of that, in fact, uh, um, the potency of this drug is, in fact, at least 50-fold greater um, than melphalan in our preclinical models, um, which leads to a dramatic increase in intracellular uh, toxicity. Uh, and then it rapidly induces irreversible um, DNA damage to the myeloma uh, with apoptosis of the tumor cells. And by nature of these characteristics, it is selective. Um, so whilst it definitively can cause um, some degree of myelosuppression, which we'll on, touch on in a minute, some of the other more challenging side effects or as challenging side effects of melphalan, for example, that we see, such as hair loss and mucositis, are not seen um, with this novel agent. Now, in terms of the preclinical um, background to um, uh, Melfluf, and this has been really carefully evaluated, and I especially want to acknowledge uh, all the investigators involved in this, including my colleague, Dr. Daminda Chauhan. And what we've been able to show is not only is there highly selective cytotoxicity in preclinical uh, models of myeloma, cell lines and patient-derived cells, but when we take this into uh, our mouse models, um, we've got very nice in vivo human xenograph data showing higher inhibition of tumor growth, and most importantly, prolonged survival uh, when compared to other agents, including, and in particular, uh, melphalan. And finally, in that same context, Damindra has shown for as just one example, um, the effects of um, the drug on actually um, angiogenesis in his uh, uh, model systems. And this has actually been really, I think, quite interesting because it has strong antiangiogenic properties, uh, and by virtue of um, these aminopeptidases, um, which may be in fact um, overexpressed in angiogenic endothelial cells in the tumor microenvironment, there is a suggestion um, that this may have a further impact uh, on, on disease biology by not only targeting the myeloma, 
but also having an effect in the tumor microenvironment, which is always, in myeloma certainly, uh, an important uh, property that we seek um, from our drugs. And I think it's also important to share that there is um, selective cytotoxicity of malflufen in terms of osteoclast precursor activity, um, which was uh, uh, something that was um, to some extent unexpected. Um, but what we found was um, that there uh, is an impotent effect uh, on osteoclasts uh, and basically by lowering osteoclast activity, um, this uh, agent uh, may in fact be able to have an impact on bone disease, um, which is really uh, obviously a major challenge uh, in myeloma. Now, how do we set about studying melflufen clinically? Well, I first and foremost want to emphasize the results of our first study in myeloma, 012M1, which we published recently in Lancet Hematology. And this study really was a comprehensive effort um, to explore dose and schedule of melflufen in a, in a relapsed um, refractory um, pa patient population. And what we were able to demonstrate uh, in the study um, was that the combination of melflufen and dexamethasone um, demonstrated an overall response rate and durable responses in heavily pretreated patients. Um, these were patients who had been primarily exposed to immunomodulatory drugs, uh, including uh, lenalidomide, uh, thalidomide, and pomalidomide, as well as uh, proteasome inhibitors such as carfilzomib and bortezomib, in addition to chemotherapeutics. And fascinatingly, we were able to demonstrate that about a third of patients responded with minimal response or better in 50% of the patients, regardless of their refractory status. And what was particularly exciting to us was that the median duration of response uh, exceeded eight months. Um, the median progression-free survival was approximately six months. And strikingly, the median overall survival was 21 months, which was in such a sick population, we thought quite encouraging. Now, we did see significant hematologic toxicity, but this was importantly manageable simply by dose uh, reduction, um, you know, interruption of treatment with a delay in therapy and then restarting, and of course, the use of growth factor support and other strategies. Interestingly, also, um, whilst infections could prove a challenge, um, we were able to manage those generally. And then I think more broadly, non-hematologic adverse events that we saw uh, were infrequent. Now, what was particularly interesting in this study is we were able to interrogate prior exposure to alkylator therapy within um, the year prior to entering the study. And we looked at this very carefully and we were able to demonstrate that the um, uh, patients who had received chemotherapeutics in the conventional sense, be they cyclophosphamide combined with either carfilzomib or portezomib, uh, melphalanoprednisone or melphalan as part of uh, conditioning regimens for transplant, uh, and then in the non-transplant population, those who received lower doses of malfolan, were able to show a consistent signal um, that in fact, um, subsequent responses to uh, malflufen were seen, including high quality responses, such as very good partial responses. So this data was promising. Now, after the success of the O21M study, um, a number of uh, studies have followed with malflufen. Um, I do want to mention the Horizon trial uh, and give you some of the information around that. It's important to note that we'll be updating uh, the final results of this trial um, at the uh, European Hematology Association meeting in a few weeks, and um, that will be hopefully part of a late-breaking abstract. So with that in mind, I'm going to restrict my comments to um, 
uh, data we've already presented at meetings last year and um, just give a, a, an update on the full data set, data set and simply top line data that has already been made available um, in the context of a, a, a recent information um, from the sponsor on copeptides. In terms of the study design, this was a phase two single arm open label multi-center international trial. Um, our inclusion criteria were that the patients had to be relapsed and refractory uh, in terms of their disease. They also had to have been exposed um, to pomalidomide uh, and or daratumumab. Um, and basically they had to have had at least two prior lines of therapy. So this was a very permissive trial. It was large and it was multi-center and most importantly was international. So it had a real uh, uh, element of, of, of being comprehensive in terms of where um, the clinical trial was performed, which I think is very important as we think of translating clinical trial results to real world practice and hopefully generating a reproducibility of benefit in that setting. In any event, the design of the trial was that patients received an infusion of 40 milligrams of malflufen with weekly dosing of dexamethasone that was 40 milligrams weekly or lower dosing in older patients. And cycles were given every 28 days. And the primary endpoint was overall response rate. Secondary endpoints included progression-free um, survival, duration of response, overall survival, of course, uh, clinical benefit rate defined as minimal response or better, time to response, time to progression, and of course, a, a strong emphasis uh, on safety. And the patient, uh, sorry, the study was designed to enroll um, over 150 patients and ultimately, in fact, enrolled 157 patients in total. But I'm going to speak to data from approximately 121 patients um, that we uh, presented uh, uh, at uh, EHA last year uh, to give you some sort of flavor as to what we're seeing with Horizon. Um, very importantly, at the time of our data cut for this 121 patients, um, about a third of patients were continuing um, on treatment. Um, and um, in that data set of 120 patients or so, we were enriched for high-risk cytogenetics with over 60% of the patients having uh, high-risk features, uh, including at least 20% with two or more high-risk features and approximately 20% with deletion 17P. So a very, very sick population. To reflect this, the number of prions of prior therapy were actually five. Uh, and as you can imagine, uh, exposure to other drugs um, was comprehensive. But what was really interesting as well was that in this population, extramedullary disease was seen in about two thirds of patients, which is a very poor prognostic feature. And then if you look at the uh, prior treatment characteristics, I think this was particularly interesting. Basically, we had 100% um, of patients who were imid and proteasome inhibitor uh, exposed and refractory. 80% uh, of the patients at the time of this particular data cut were CD38 monoclonal antibody exposed. And thus, if one assesses triple class uh, exposure and refractoriness, this approached 80% at the time of this preliminary look. Uh, and in terms of prior transplantation, at least 70% of the patients had had um, prior transplant. So this was, a, by anybody's measure, uh, a very uh, uh, sick population. And what we were able to show, or I should say a vulnerable population as well, um, what we were able to show that in terms of best response, about a third of patients in the intent to treat group responded. MR or better was seen in 40%, which was very important because this was very similar to what we'd seen in the smaller O12M1 study of about 50 patients or so where we had seen clearly a very similar signal. 
and the fact that this was being clearly reproduced in this much larger multi-center international study um, was, I think, quite, uh, quite reassuring. And what we were able to show also is that if you looked at subgroups of patients, the response rates were um, remarkably consistent. If you looked at the uh, monoclonal antibody refractory population and the response rate from the uh, EHAR data we presented last year was 22%. This is actually slightly improved and with large numbers. And the triple class refractory was very similar. And what was particularly interesting as well um, was to see actually the activity of this disease, uh, sorry, the activity of melflufen, I should say, uh, in the presence um, of um, the uh, uh, extramedullary myeloma. And so with that in mind, I, I did want to share um, that this particular subgroup of patients appeared um, to benefit um, significantly. And when we looked at um, this initially in a subgroup of patients of the, and presented these data at EHAR last year, which we then updated at the International Myeloma Workshop in September, we saw a, a very strong signal for uh, extramedullary patients. About 30% of patients um, here were responding. And if we looked at the extramedullary patients who were classically triple-class refractory, around 23% of patients were responding. Now, the most recent update of this data um, in the form of a, a press release from our sponsor, Oncopeptides, um, has similarly confirmed this top-line information, um, demonstrating um, very similar response rates uh, in these particularly vulnerable groups. Now, progression-free and overall survival data are obviously maturing, um, but suffice to say, there is clearly a progression-free survival signal that's for this relapse refractory population that's encouraging. And similarly, there is an encouraging duration of response um, data, which really, I think, uh, is important. For example, in our analysis that we presented uh, last year at EHA, we were able to demonstrate that median duration of response was particularly good in patients without extramedullary disease, but was still encouraging in those with extramedullary disease in around four months. And if we looked at the triple class refractory, again, um, the non-extramedullary patients enjoyed approximately an eight-month median duration of response, with the extramedullary disease being about four months. But nonetheless, this is some of the best data that we've seen uh, for extramedullary disease in such a vulnerable population. And I think it's worth mentioning that for a few moments because, um, in fact, in the extramedullary disease setting, um, very few single agents are active. Um, we do know that, for example, in daratumumab use as a monotherapy, response rates are seen in about 15 to 20% of patients if they are daratumumab naive. Um, obviously, these patients were daratumumab exposed in the majority and also daratumumab refractory. So to see a response rate in this group, we felt, was really quite promising. So the conclusions from the Horizon study were really that there was a very solid response rate of around 30%, a clinical benefit response rate of around 40%, uh, and the progression-free survival overall was about four months, and these data have been sustained um, with larger numbers and more mature analysis. Also, we saw a consistently strong signal between 25 and 30% for patients with extramedullary disease, depending on their prior exposure to previous drugs, which of course I think is really important because it does suggest a consistency of signal um, with an improvement in the response rate in those who've been less heavily pre-treated, but, but a respectable and, and helpful response rate in those who are truly triple-class resistant and refractory. Um, the tolerability profile was also very consistent with what we'd seen before. Um, the rate of discontinuation because of adverse events was importantly low, non-hematologic adverts were infrequent. Having said that, however, hematologic toxicity 
was clearly our major issue in terms of side effects, and this proved manageable um, with growth factor support and appropriate dose, dose adjustments, as well as um, platelet support, with including um, thrombopoietic um, fact, uh, 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 agents. Now, in all of that, we were able then, however, to show a relatively low rate of infection uh, in this trial overall, which was actually very encouraging because this is a population where infectious complications are really quite common. And with antibodies, for example, can be as high as 30 or 35 percent. Uh, and our rate of infect serious infections was much lower. Uh, another area of, 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 of care is, of course, in the context of second malignancies. And in this Horizon study, we were pleased to see um, that to date there have been no uh, cases of treatment-related AMLL-MDS fully reported. We're watching this carefully, though, because this is an important area. Um, but nonetheless, the fact in such a large data set being so heavily pretreated, we're not seeing this signal um, is an, an important thing or important phenomenon that we will keep a careful eye on. Now, going forward, other trials, I think, are showing great excitement. It's important to recognize that malflufen is a single agent, and so um, the use of um, it in combination with other drugs is clearly a way to go because then it allows to use lower doses and so forth and hopefully enhance efficacy. And in that spirit, the use of melflufen with other drugs, including bortezomib and daratumumab, led by colleagues like Dr. Enrico Osio and others, uh, and Marie V. Mateus, have shown real promise. Uh, and in this regard, the use of bortezomib with malflufen uh, and daratumumab have shown very encouraging response rates. I want to close by emphasizing the currently ongoing phase three trial that is close to accrual. This is led by my colleague, Dr. Pieter Sonnefeld, and really is a remarkable international phase three effort comparing malflufen dexamethasone to bombalidomide and dexamethasone, a much earlier disease. And I'm very pleased to report that that trial is almost fully accrued, and we will hope for top-line data um, perhaps as early as uh, next year. Um, so in conclusion, malflufen showing promise, I think, as an important new targeted chemotherapeutic um, that may provide a, a really exciting new option for our patients uh, and, and by so doing, uh, improve outcome. Thank you very much for your kind attention. Multiple Myeloma Hub Podcasts, brought to you by Scientific Education Support.